And I know some of you are probably disappointed tonight. It's me. <laughs> We've had so many home runs on Wednesday nights. Now you're just back to maybe old base hitter me. We had home run after home run after home run. So uh, no surprise punches tonight or anything like that. We're just going back to the Word of God. Maybe the Lord will bless us with a home run. You never know. But if we just get a base hit or a bunt or whatever, uh, we just need to rejoice that the Lord's blessed us to worship and be together. But I do feel a burden to kind of begin a new series on Wednesday nights. And the name of it, this is going to be Parenting, Not for the Faint of Heart. If there's anything that I've learned, and I probably had not learned much, but parenting is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> it's, a, it's a difficult and glorious task and job, and it's a wonderful blessing, but it's a lot of work. So remember, parenting is not for the faint of heart. And so the very unusual place to begin in Esther 2 and 20, but I'll tell you how I stumbled upon this as the doorway, if you will, for this series. The kids and I at home for breakfast most mornings at devotion, we go through uh, some book of the Bible and we've been going through Esther, you know, a few verses at a time. And this was the verse from this morning. And this just kind of struck me. And we talked about it a little bit this morning. So sorry, some of my guys getting a repeat, but in Esther 2 and 20, I want you to notice what it says. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. The, the phrase brought up is the, it by definition means tutelage in the specific sense of training someone. So Esther, who had been adopted by Mordecai, he was her adoptive father, even though he was his, her cousin, a much older cousin. He had adopted her. And it says that even after Esther was the queen of the land. Now that's, what that, that's the point that it's at right there. King Ahasuerus has chosen her in the first Bachelor episode, the first, ba- first series and first season of The Bachelor, which was, you, you, lady, you think it's great, but it's not great. You wouldn't want to be in this one, that's for sure. It lasted for about a year and a half. <laughs> and so King, Queen Esther has been chosen by King Ahasuerus in the first series of the bachelor. And it says that even after she was queen, she maintained the teaching and the poise and the grace and the character and the virtue that she had been instilled with as a child. One of the things I commented to the kids this morning is, you know, on one hand, and and some people, if they had become the queen, they said, nobody's telling me anything to do anymore. (laughs) You know, God help us if somebody like that becomes queen or king. (laughs) You know, I don't have to do what my parents tell me anymore. This girl was probably, a young lady was probably 16, 17, maybe 18 or 19 by now. And she's just been promoted to being the queen of the land. And yet it says that she still did what she was uh, taught to do from when she was a little girl. Wouldn't you love to look in on the book? Uh, instruction manual for parenting that this adoptive parent Mordecai had for Esther. Well, guess what? You're in luck. We can. Because one of the things that Mordecai would have had would have been, you guessed it, the book of Proverbs. And that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time as we consider this parenting series. But I want to make the point of this example here of whatever Mordecai did, it stuck with Esther. 
And it's very important because Esther goes on, as you, I'm sure you're familiar with the story there, and she saves the entire nation by the providential hand of God. The entire Jewish race, the entire group of people were facing genocide. And because she stuck to what she was taught growing up, she, did, she was trained up as a child. And when she was old, she didn't older, she did not depart from it. She stuck with it. So as a preliminary, I want that overshadowing this series. Here is Esther as a young woman. It says she did as she was commanded and taught like when she was a little girl brought up by Mordecai. Now that's the first thing I want you to keep in mind. The second thing overall is I've told you many times and preached for many years, not just on a specific series, but I've mentioned this from time to time, that the word, what the Word of God teaches about parenting, and this is why it's not for the faint of heart. Parenting in the Scripture is taught in the form of quantity time, not quality time. Our minds are geared towards quality time. But the, if you need a verse of Scripture for that, there's many, but the primary verse is Deuteronomy 6, where it tells us that we are to... Parents are to train and teach their children and speak of the Word of God when they rise up, when they sit down, when they sit at the table, and when they walk about. That's all the time, basically, you see. So it's, it speaks in terms of quantity time, not quality time. Now, I stand before you not as some kind of polished and, and totally qualified individual Parent, I'm not speaking to you in terms of being, hey, look at me, I'm the best parent in the world. I'm not. I admit that. And this right here is something that I that challenges me and I face on a daily basis because I get up, I have my morning time, and then I go out to work and I come home in the afternoon and I lose all that time. Now I understand, and God understands, you know, that we've got to make a living, we've got to pay our bills and so forth. But I'm not talking to you in terms of being... Well, I'm the standard for parents. Never would I talk, even, even if I was 60 years old or 70 years old, I would never speak to you in terms of that. I'm speaking to you in terms as a minister of the gospel who is charged by God and burdened by the Spirit of God to teach these things to you. So not only am I teaching you, I'm teaching myself. And some of you may say, well, I'm a grandparent, I'm a great-grandparent. It doesn't apply to me. It always applies to you. Always applies across the board. It applies to the child that is listening, to the parent that is parenting, and to the grandparent or the great-grandparent or the uncle, aunt, whatever it may be. It applies to all of us because the principles are to us all. We all have an influence uh, for younger folks. And if we don't, shame on us. (laughs) We should be looking for those opportunities to influence. So overall, remember, the Bible teaches quantity time, not quality time. And it involves instruction, teaching, rebuke, reproof, correction, chastening. And the second thing I want you to keep in mind is Psalms 127. And you can turn there if you want to, and then we're going to wind up in the book of Proverbs and kind of park there for a while. Psalms 127 says in verse 3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. Now, I want you to know that the whole purpose of that psalm is not to tell you how many children a a, a parent should have. That is not the purpose. The purpose of the psalm is to, to give a beautiful picture of what it is like to parent. And notice that it says, as arrows in the hands of a mighty man, in the hand of a mighty man. I've always been able to just, in my mind, just picture a man holding those arrows that he's about to use and shoot from a a bow. 
And that's the whole point of that proverb is that a parent, it is, it is, the, it is a given when it comes to parenting that at some point those children are going to be shot forth from the home. And I don't mean kicked out. That's not what it's talking about. Although, you know, if you were 39 or 40, you might need to be kicked out. I don't know. But, but this, it's not talking about they turn 18 and just run them off. No, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about at some point they go forth. You see, they will go forth. And the question is, how has the parent molded those children like you would mold an arrow? Remember, you say, well, don't you mean make arrows? No, uh-uh. You know, you take a block of wood, there's an arrow in there somewhere. You just got to mold it down to where you finally have that arrow shaped out of that piece of wood. You see, or that reed or that stick or whatever it is. So it's arrow molding. It's not arrow making. Um, and, and one of the things that I thought about with this, it says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. That's an indication of when those arrows go forth. After they go forth. You know, it's not talking about, you know, me as a seven-year-old being put in front of a jury to make a closing argument. You know, I would have had a stroke and died. Me as a 15-year-old standing in front of a jury and making a closing argument, I would have had a stroke and died. Me as a 21-year-old standing in front of a jury making an argument, I probably would have had a stroke and died trying to do something like that. And, and I'm just using myself. That doesn't mean you've got to do that. But I'm talking about when you get up and you get gone and you're grown and you're making your living, whatever you're doing, it might be accounting, it might be uh, farming, it might be whatever, some kind of business. But you're going to go forth at some point. You know, you might be employed by somebody else. You might be your own employer. Okay, but there's a there's a training process that goes on there. There comes a time when that arrow goes forth and they do what they've been taught to do. Right. So I couldn't have done some of the things I do today at seven or 15. So you young guys, relax, (laughs) relax. There's going to come a time when you can do things that you aren't able to do now. It's because hopefully Somebody is sharpening that arrow and molding that arrow. Now, let's talk specifically. This is kind of an overview of this subject. But let's talk specifically about about what the Word of God says about parenting. And by the way, the, the Bible is very specific about parenting. Very specific. You say, well, I just don't know what to do. I don't know where to start or I've messed up. I wish I could do this better. Hey, join the club. I wish I could. I I know I I need to do some things better. But the Bible is very specific. If there's a question you have about a certain issue, take it to the word of God. If you don't know where to start, go to the man of God and say, hey, what about this? If a man of God is worth anything, if he's worth his salt at all, he's going to be at least able to point you in the general direction of an answer. So Proverbs 22 and 6 is where we want to look at the overview of parenting. And I want to, I want to connect Proverbs 22 and 6 with Ephesians 6 and 4, which is the New Testament equivalent of Proverbs 22 and 6. Uh, also, um, we're going to have to throw in there Proverbs 29 and 15 too, because they all kind of connect together. All right? So you've got Proverbs 22 and 6, Proverbs 29 and 15, and then you got Ephesians 6 and 4. Those are joining and equivalent verses. Old Testament, New Testament. So let's start in the Old Testament. Proverbs 22 and 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old or older, he will not depart from it. That makes me think of Esther. 
There's, there's what Esther, and when we read the verse from Esther, she's living that. She was trained in the way she should go when she was a child, and then she got older, and she was in a very visible position. She did not depart from what she was taught. Now, it doesn't mean a person, well, they, you know, they're, they're not ever going to follow it. They could have a period of time where they stray from it or go away from it. Matter of fact, you may see, too, in Esther that she did have some, some second thoughts and, and doubts about what she needed to do. Everybody has doubts. And there are those like the prodigal son, you know, who goes away and he comes back. That, that happens. But the, the thrust and the goal is train, 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 and teach. And so maybe something will stick. <laughs> and so this word right here, train, is an interesting word. It means to initiate, to discipline, to dedicate. And I never noticed this before. I've looked at this verse many times, but I never noticed this before. But the, the root of that word occurs in the scripture just a few times and it relates to the dedication of a house like you would build a house and you would dedicate that house i'm going to use this house to the glory of god to serve the lord some of you know brother chad sister erica Payne. they're building a house over in a area there near gordo and several weeks ago when they were doing the inside before they did the sheetrock uh, brother chad asked me if i would go by there and write some scripture on those those beams before they covered them up. And I thought, it's right on my way home, right, right there. I thought, yes. And I went by there and you know, wrote some verses over the where you walk in. And I think Deuteronomy 6 was one of the ones I put where you walk in and then some other places. So I just think that's the coolest thing, that underneath that sheetrock, underneath that paint, they're going to have that in there. That's, that may be a trend that uh, folks are doing more nowadays, and that's fine. But it, it makes me think of this, to dedicate a house. Lord, we want to dedicate this building to your glory. That's what the root word of train means there. Also, a further root word of uh, the word train means to choke or to throttle. <laughs> Any of your parents ever wanted to choke your kids? <laughs> That's not what that means, okay? But it does make you think of the verse of Scripture where it says foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. And the rod of correction would drive that foolishness from the child. You throttle it out of them. You know, that's part of what you got to do as a parent. That's just part of it. So the New Testament equivalent of this word train is in Ephesians 6 and 4. And it might be a good idea just to kind of keep one finger there in Proverbs. And you can flip over to Ephesians 6 and 4. This is where the Apostle Paul is giving instruction to uh, the church at Ephesus. You know, the first half of Ephesians is given the doctrine. You want to know what Paul taught? It's clear as a bell. He lists it in chapters 1 through 3. And then he teaches the practical side of how to put that doctrine into practice. In Ephesians 6 and 4, he says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. That's an equivalent word to train. Train up a child in the way that they should go. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So the New Testament equivalent of training up a child is here to bring up. And the word means to, the phrase means to rear up to maturity, to cherish, to train, to nourish, to pamper, to fatten, you know, to take care of all of the needs of a child. And I'll tell you, the physical needs, obviously, that's, that's a no-brainer. But there's even more than just the physical needs. There is the emotional, spiritual side of it to teach and to fatten a child in a spiritual sense with the truth. You see, that's what Mordecai did with Esther. He fattened her on the spiritual truths of the Word of God, the milk, the meat, the honey, the, the things, the manna that's there in the Word of God. 
It's so important for us to do that. Listen, if we had time to waste, (laughs) I could play you four or five hundred songs that I learned on my little six-string guitar that I got when I was 12. I would sit there for hours, and I'd learn this song, I'd learn that song, I'd learn another song. You know, I told you all before, you, you can't, don't ever get any ideas about stealing my guitar because it has my teeth print on it. From where I got so mad but when I was 12 when I couldn't play Willie Nelson's Angel Flying Too Close to the Ground, and I bit it. I was so mad, and I was so ashamed, and I hid that from Mom and Dad for years because they were going to kill me if they saw that I had bit my D28 Martin. Yeah, and some of you were saying, oh, it's just a little piece of junk guitar. It's a D28 Martin. My teeth marks are on my guitar. My DNA is permanently established on my guitar. And I could play you four or five hundred songs, from the Eagles to the country songs that were going on, to ones that I've written. I tell you that to my shame. I wish I could quote the book of Psalms to you from memorizing Scripture. I wish I could quote the Song of Solomon. I wish I could quote to you the Proverbs. I wish I could quote to you the entire... I get half the chapter of Ephesians 1, but I can't get the whole thing. I'm not telling you I wish I could do that so you could be impressed by the way that I've got a great memory. But it would be nonetheless impressive if I sat here and played for you and didn't miss a word from two or three or four hundred songs, wouldn't it? That's impressive. I mean, he's got some kind of memory. It's because I memorized it as a child. Those things stuck to me and I memorized them. And I'm not saying all those songs were bad. I mean, there were some good songs, especially the ones I wrote. They're fantastic. <laughs> but I'm ashamed of that. I think back on that as a minister of the gospel, how that would have helped me if I had just taken the Word of God and, com- and took half of that time and committed the Word of God to memory. Oh, we had the Word of God exposed to us. Now, it's not like Mom threw us out there and said, go learn all those songs. She didn't do that. We did that of our own accord. I did that of my own accord. Brother Chris learned a few too. <laughs> but you see, I wish I had spent more time in the Word of God, learning the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God. I'm not saying that you have. that's part of what you've got to do. You've got to memorize the Word of God in order to be a good child. No, a thousand times no. But to understand the concept at least, I would much rather understand that than some of the songs that I learned and committed to memory. You see, we need to fatten ourselves on the Scripture. You understand? I'm not going to be lying on my deathbed one day, laying there singing a verse of the eagle's lion eyes. You know, when my dad passed, we weren't standing around singing peaceful, easy feeling. (laughs) We were singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You see... Those are the things to live by, and those are the things to die by. doesn't mean you can't learn a few songs here and there and enjoy this and enjoy that. But don't be a fanatic like me. Don't be like me. Fatten yourselves on the Scripture. Fatten yourselves on the Word of God. You see? That's what it means when he says to fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the New Testament equivalent of to train a child. Now back to the Old Testament. We look to Proverbs 29 and 15. Don't lose Ephesians 6 now because they're connected. Proverbs 22 and 6, Proverbs 29 and 15, and Ephesians 6. They're all connected. In Proverbs 29 and 15, it says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Okay, first of all, let's get some definitions. The word rod right there. It, it means a, a branch or a stick. You know, it, it literally means 
you go and cut a limb off a tree. I mean, everybody, uh, at least in our generation, you know, we heard about that. I never did that. But dad would say, you know, my, my mom would send me and say, go cut you a branch, boy, come back here. And if it's not big enough, woe unto you, you know. <laughs> well, you know, they, they had the branch in the house when I was a kid. I didn't have to go cut my own branch, thank goodness, because I'd have been terrified. Is it big enough? Is it too small? Oh, my goodness, you know. I feared mom's uh, uh, fly swatter about as much as I did, you know, the, the paddle that daddy had. But understand, here's the point. God says this. It's not Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock doesn't say that, by the way, if any of y'all even know who that is. And some of you are probably thinking about Star Trek. But (laughs) there's a guy that wrote a book years ago that is anti-Christian and against the principles of the Word of God that says you shouldn't spank a child. There's a guy here who is eternal and has never thought a wrong thought who inspired this to be written down by Solomon who said that the rod, the switch, the spanking is something that gives wisdom to a child. Who you want to go with? You want to go with Dr. Spock or you want to go with Dr. God, the great physician? I'm going to go with the Lord. And the Lord says the rod is something that gives wisdom. I'm a living testimony that the rod of correction will not kill you. It will not kill you. I received many spankings growing up. I deserved many more because I did some things probably that mom and daddy still don't know that I did when I was a little kid. And I thought, hey, I got away with them. But I didn't get away with them. The Lord saw them and the Lord has convicted me over those things through the years. The rod is a branch or a stick. Remember this now. It's not your hand and it's certainly not your foot. <laughs> you know, the word of God teaches you use the rod for discipline, for this type of discipline. You don't use your hand because you don't want a child to associate your hand with something that is scary. You know, I can, I've told this before and my kids, bless their hearts, have been put through this many times, but when I was a child and I would do wrong and dad, I don't know who told him to do that. It had to be the Lord. <laughs> but when we'd get in trouble and he'd, he'd take over and I, you know, I'm saying we a lot because it was a lot, it was me, it was Chris and I a lot, you know. <laughs> but anyway, when I would get in trouble, dad would, take us quietly, take me aside, and he said, now, son, you know, I'm going to have to spank you. And the tears started coming because I knew that bicep was fixing to hurt. <laughs> he said, I'm going to have to spank you, son. And so he'd spank me. Then the worst part was next. After the physical pain, he'd say, now come here and give me a hug and tell me that you love me. And I'm, okay, daddy. You know, I mean, it was hard to do that. I, and that had to be for the Spirit of the Lord because I've never forgotten it. My dad showed me that he loved me even whenever he had to whip me and spank me. And he never used his hand, by the way. He always used that little rod that I told you about, a rope, don't spank Tim on it. So um, the rod is a branch or a stick. It, I've heard it put this way. It could be as light as a feather or as small or as tender as a feather. And it could be like that uh, paddle that dad used to use on us. Or God forbid, the paddle that Coach Lynn Wright would meet out poison to the backside of people at, at school back in the days, you know, when that was allowed. So you see, God says this is appropriate for wisdom for a child. Now, New Testament equivalent. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get the Old Testament on reproof while we're there so we won't be flipping too much back and forth. It says the rod and reproof gives wisdom. The word reproof means to plead, to reason, it means to chastise, and figuratively, it means to refute 
or prove by words, an argument, a reasoning, a rebuke. So I've said this before, and some of you may remember, the rod is a very small part, or should be, a small part of what a, a parent does. But the reproof, if, if the rod is 5%, the reproof is 95%. That's, and this is not, children, listen, young guys, listen, this is not you arguing with your parents. It's, it's, the, it's the parent making the proof to you about what's right and what's wrong. Proving the truth to you. Son, if you do this, this is what it's going to lead to. A son, I've told you before, you don't need to do this, and this is what's going to happen. That's the reproof. That's the argument. See, it's not arguing with your parents. That's not a good place to go, because that will lead to the, the other. See? Now, there are cases like mom's dad, my granddad, who was a member at this church years and years ago, there are some strange cases where he and his brother, uh, great grand, uh, granddaddy Springer, that's BB, and uh, his brother, Uncle Lewis, they got a paddling every day. <laughs> Their mother gave them a paddling every day. Those were bad boys. <laughs> you know, they obviously had some issues going on between themselves and with authority. Now, they turned out okay. They turned out wonderful. They're, God love them. They turned out great. But. His, his mother said they gave him a paddle. He said his mother gave him a paddling every single day. That's seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. That's a little unusual. <laughs> but who knows? Maybe, maybe a little more reproof should have been going on. I don't know. It wasn't there. But the majority of what you do as a parent is reproof. Talking about this situation again and again, again. Until you feel like sometimes you just won't pull your hair out. How many times have I said this? And I'm not talking about getting on to them again and again and letting them get away with stuff. I'm talking about this is right, this is right, this is right. And then situations come up. This is right, this is right. This is I prove to you it's right. You know, don't ever say I told you so. Or be careful when you do. Don't be too smart aleck with it. But again and again and again and again, teaching things. That's what reproof is. It's making... It's making the proof of what you're saying. You can use examples. I've done that many times. Oh, you may be able to think of some examples right now. You say, well, this is a sad situation where this person didn't listen to reproof. And look at what they went off into. Look at what they got into. Look at how they destroyed their lives. Those are examples that prove the Word of God is correct. And then, of course, you just prove the Word of God over and over. You know, if you lie, you're going to get caught. God hates lying. You know, God hates false witness. And if you lie, you're going to get caught. And how many times? The liar always gets caught. <laughs> you know, you tell one lie, and then you try to tell a lie to cover that lie up, and it's just a web of lies, and the next thing you know, you're tangled up like a spider web. It's going... Listen to me, guys. I don't think we got any... I don't think we got any liars here listening to me tonight. I pray to God we don't. But if anybody ever thought about lying, I'm telling you it will catch up with you. <laughs> there is no doubt. And that's not because Brother Tim said so. It's because the Word of God says so. So let's go to the New Testament now and see the connecting, what connects with the rod and reproof. Remember it says train up a child in the way he should go. The New Testament says bring up a child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The rod and the reproof brings wisdom, but a child left to themselves brings their mother to shame. In Ephesians 6 and 4, again, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. And here is the rod and reproof in the New Testament. It says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The nurture is this, the Old Testament calls it the rod. In the New Testament, it is referred to as nurture. You say, well, how do we know that? Because it doesn't say rod. Look up the root word of the word nurture. If you keep following out that root word of the Strong's Concordance, you'll find that the root word of the word nurture is to strike a blow, to hit. 
And again, somebody who might be a skeptic would say, yeah, see there, the Bible's teaching child abuse. It's not child abuse. It's talk, it's, first of all, using a, a rod, using a, a whip, using a, um, a paddle. It's not child abuse. I'm, I'm a prosecutor. I know what child abuse is. I've seen it. I've seen it in horrible ways. It's not talking about child abuse. It's talking about child love. That's what parenting is, is loving your children. <laughs> and the definition of nurture right here is to hit or strike. But catch this. The root word means a less severe than a serious blow. And it does not mean to strike with the hand or the fist. How about that? You think the Lord hadn't sewed this up beautifully in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? The very definition of the word nurture, which means strike or hit, is not talking about with the hand or with the fist or a serious blow. It's talking about a word, a, a word that means to teach and to train. See? So that's the word nurture. That's the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament rod. And he says, bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now, I like this word, admonition. The Old Testament word is reproof. The New Testament word is admonition. It means to call attention to, and it comes from two words. One is the Greek word nous, and the other is uh, athetic, which means nuthetic. That's the Greek word if that does anything for you. Uh, nuthetic, and it means, nous means the mind, and thetic means to set. And it means to set the mind. You know, in some circles, uh, some academic circles, they refer to this as brainwashing. <laughs> you say, Brother Tim, do you, are you telling me that the Lord wants us to brainwash our children? I'm telling you that the Lord has something better than brainwashing your children. He's got setting the mind of your children. That's not brainwashing. If you're doing it right and you're reproving the Word of God and proving the Word of God, all you're doing is reinforcing in their own mind that the Lord is right. It's not about the parent being right. It's about the Lord being right. Because guess what? I've told you all a time or two. Be riding. These days are gone. Praise God these days are gone. Because I really felt guilty about these days. When we'd be riding down the road and somebody, some rip would start in the back. You know, and I'd turn around with a little switch we keep in the car start spanking somebody going down the road. And I'm spanking the wrong person. Daddy, it's not me. It's not me, Daddy. I'm, oh, sorry. Well, who is it? Y'all just all need it probably, you know. <laughs> I feel bad about that. But they probably needed it for something else, you know. If that was me, they come from me, and I, I know I did. <laughs> so, you see, it means to set the mind. It's not brainwashing. You don't want to brainwash your kids because that means they can't think for themselves. See, you want to set their mind like we talked about a few weeks ago. There ought to be some nails hammered into their minds on big issues, on little issues. I mean, it's easy to do that if you're reproving the word of God and putting that in front of them on a regular basis. I was just reading today. It's a total side note, but it makes a good point. I was just reading today that someone wrote a scathing um, article against Oral Roberts University being in the Sweet 16 or wherever they are in this March Madness stuff that's going on. I'm not sure exactly where they are. But because of the values that they hold. I, I don't agree with everything that Oral Roberts taught or did. But there's a, a Christian school that has certain values that is being downplayed and basically ridiculed you know, by the world. Now this writer, it was interesting what they said. What they said, and I'm not getting the quote exactly right. I should have saved the quote, but I'll just give it to you. Basically, they said the fact that Oral Roberts University and its teachers and its board or whatever, they're immoral. 
Those, those are the terms that were used. They're not moral. Okay? Which is a proof to you and I that Christianity no longer holds the high ground of morality. We do not hold that ground anymore. We've lost that ground. So it is immoral. It's not just, it used to be that Christianity would hold the high ground. You know, there was, there was this position, there was that position, and then there was that higher ground morality position of Christianity. Are y'all with me? But not anymore. Now it is immoral to stand for things that the Word of God stands for. I'm not only preaching something that many would say is just kooky, you know, about spanking your child, and boy, that means you hate your child. If you spank your child or you use the rod of correction, that not, it's not just kooky <laughs> sounding, if that's a good word. It, it's now immoral for me to preach that to you. It's immoral for me to tell you that same-sex marriage is a sin in the eyes of God. It's immoral for me to tell you that God is, is pro-life. Pro, being pro-life is pro-Christ. It's immoral for me to tell you that. See? I'm not telling you that to scare you or to preach gloom and doom to you because in the days of darkness are the times that we should shine the brightest. And that's when the Lord shines the brightest to us and for us and in us. But you need to know those things. We don't have the moral high ground anymore. It's, it's gone, okay? So we're not talking about brainwashing. We're not talking about... Uh, you know, causing somebody not to where they can't think. They can only think like mom or dad. They can only think like mom or dad. No. We want free-thinking children of God who have had some things nailed into them, truths that have been nailed in there about what is right and what is wrong. Amen. When you're going to start saying, well, whose morality are we talking about? You've got to have a standard to go by. See? And it's either the standard of God's Word or it's your own standard that you come up with. We want the standard of God's Word. <laughs> Okay, in conclusion tonight, oh my goodness, it's seven. How was Esther able to do the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up by him? How was she able to do that? I've just laid the general framework before you here tonight of how she was able to do that. She had been trained from a child. She had had the rod and she'd had correction She'd been given wisdom in that way. She'd been brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord by a loving, adoptive parent. <laughs> See? And in the days to come, Lord willing, if we continue with this subject, we'll continue to look at those details of what it meant for Esther to be able to take that kind of stand and deliver an entire race of people, an entire nation of people within a bigger nation. And we'll look at that next time, Lord willing. I appreciate your presence here, and I appreciate your prayers, and I pray the Lord will bless us to continue uh, in what we're looking at. If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism, uh, we give you that opportunity.